Good morning, everybody. Welcome. This is Tavo DRC, Dr. T from the DFW Leader Ministry Online Fellowship. We're also now starting to train over on www.teammateu.com, our apostolic ministry teammate university. What we're doing is we're putting up what we've heard from the Lord, which we feel we know needs to be addressed today, which is really a lot of accusation in ministry and Christianity and people that trickles down and either helps society or defeats it. And then we're working on that to work on curbing doctrine that provokes it, such as Phariseeism, legalism, and then also training that will help mama and daddy and papa and pastor and prophet train other people not to do it with God's help. So we're getting all this out there and all this ties into what is doctrine, the subject of doctrine. The spirit of of uh, Jesus is the testimony, you know, the, the relationship with the Lord is so important in getting our doctrine and understanding it and then getting good training that is not under the law that goes with it. So what I want to do is on teammateu.com start training against accusation. Like I said, the main thing we train on for now, it's to get the body of Christ ready for what's to come, for who's to come. And that's to make ourselves the spotless, shining relationship bride of Christ, the Love Walk Church of Philadelphia, brotherly love, respect for all, equal opportunity, real respect, males and females, all races, colors, types, and styles, and then how to be a good uh, witness as a community based on Ephesians 4. That's our hot topic, because if we can just have a quality of life that's reflected in Christianity that's organic, that's genuine, that's authentic, then will please the Lord. It'll hurry up his soon return, but it will make a transformed body. And that's the issue, the transformed body. So we each need to take self-inventory and see if there's any bigotry, any lines of unforgiveness, any lines of bias, any lines of respecter of person, spirit, in ministry, and then get our hearts right for the pure-hearted move of God, the turn of events, and then we'll train more and more on James 3.17, relationships, enduring in that fruit of the fruit of the wisdom that comes from above, as well as equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in God's image, and then we're going to go into the, the accuser, of Genesis 3, Revelation 12, 7 through 11, versus the Messiah, the prophet, the office prophet, fivefold offices filled with God's Holy Spirit, all seven folds of his mega spirit, his mega mantle in ministry and personal life, the God of eternity sent down in human form as the Messiah Savior to invite everyone to be born again and with his help live out the life just prior to, you know, going forever into eternity, the right place in eternity. So what does doctrine have to do with it? What does doctrine matter? It sounds like such a dry, boring topic. You know, most of the body of Christ, most Christians, due to TV influence and mega ministry, not all of, you know, it's a lot of good, but most people think, bless me. 
We're here so we can pray and believe and have faith and stand and praise till God blesses us. And, you know, that's part of it. But we have to have the whole spectrum, God's whole counsel to please the Lord, to make this a true, trustworthy, down-to-earth, relationship-oriented community, which really pleases the Lord, such as Psalm 133 comes to mind. It talks about the anointing that flows down from Aaron's beard, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the oil of joy and gladness of unity, and that's where God commands his blessing. The unity of the brothers and sisters and mothers and leaders in the body who choose to make Jesus Christ their Lord, who choose to serve him in that manner, makes all the difference. When I look over at Revelation to the church, the letter of the Holy Spirit to the church of Philadelphia, it talks about the church of Philadelphia, the love walk church, the overcoming church who overcome the accuser with God's help, overcome accusation with self-control, with great doctrine, teaching, not settling for back under the law, not standing for evil eye or name-calling bias or racism, respecter of persons. You know, respecter of persons is really they respect just a few people and the rest they don't. And that way the people that are not respected will feel it and perceive it because it's a spirit, a religious spirit, impure spirit. So when you teach doctrines, it goes back to the Bible And yet you want to make sure, since we're Christians, not back in the Old Testament days, that we're not back under the law. In the Old Testament, God tells us that the Torah, the Pentateuch, the whole Bible in the Old Testament was to be a schoolmaster for the people. They had right and wrong, and if they did right, they were fine, God would bless. If they did wrong, they'd have to suffer a penalty. And they had the Ten Commandments, which are relationship preservation. And really the whole law was to reflect God, get their attention, keep them society, peace from mayhem, relationship preservation, guiding, guarding, and governing, including children, women, men, marriage, and community. However, when we go to the New Testament, Jesus comes and it says in the Bible that Jesus comes to to fulfill the law and to demonstrate it without being any accusation, self-righteousness, a pure and holy, simple, walking it out with humility, but yet doing the right thing and guard, guiding and governing all relationships, respecting all kinds of people, mothers, fathers, leaders in the fear of the Lord. And this is an overview view we teach that will overcome teaching and will help people not gossip, abuse, accuse, or do things that are unjust because relationships are the real thing. And how do you respect a relationship? Are you going to have bias? Are you going to treat people that are your mother with disrespect? Are you going to be rude to somebody? Stand them up and not value them, relationship, this ties into the congregations, family, you name it. And if the Christians do it well with God's help, they will get the attention of people who are not believers, and they'll want to try to try Christ too, to have people that are quality in relationships, respect out in the field that do not accuse. So I'm going to teach on Revelation 7. Revelation 12, 7 through 11, about what happened when Jesus died on the cross and paid the ultimate price with his life 
for our sin, a sacrifice for sin, to win back self-control, self-government, the fruits of the Spirit, not back under the law when he died and rose in victory to help us all, the church. He handed back the gates of self-control and power, personal willpower back to us if we can learn about it, trust him for it, get, you know, the victory. It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their life unto death. Who is him? Well, him is the accuser, the deceiver who came into the garden in Genesis 3 and started all this with temptation and accusation. Accusation that he knew more than God, that he was envious of God. All this negative accusation is how it started. Well, Jesus had to come back to give his power to his people through his blood to overcome it, not go that way, not fall into that sin. Also, when you are persecuted, unjustly accused, have racial bias, have mean-spirited people that do you injustice, you have God with temperance and forgiveness and then being up front with a relationship respect while you, James 3.17, up front confront them, but you overcome by forgiveness primarily and putting it under the blood, yourself under the blood of Jesus, the power of God. So when we look at doctrine, we think this is what doctrine is there for. What is doctrine? Doctrine is really anybody's, everybody's personal infrastructure where they get their moral conscience, their guidance, their directions to make their choices, their decisions. So if you are a Christian, you have Jesus to help you with the tough parts, with the relationships, because that's where all the struggle is, or money can affect relationship. Ministry affects relationship. It is about relationships. And then you can go to the Lord for insight and also know his Bible, because that provides a lot of power and builds your faith and gives you clues on how to comport yourself. So infrastructure is your doctrine. If you are a person who is organic and young thinking and not legalistic, you won't have sharp-edged, critical, accusing doctrine. This is the whole thing. You'll have self-control. If you don't have it, you'll know to go to God how to get it and not be concerned with what other people say or, you know, that you're not going to be scared of the Lord to go to him because you know he's not an accuser. Only Satan's the accuser. Sometimes your parent is the accuser, your father or a preacher or some friend some relative can be your accuser, put you down, make you feel low, demeaned, but that is not the Lord. So I'm going to teach all of this. Put it on teammateu.com for everyone to know about, read it, get it straight, and then train, hopefully train many others in ministry so we don't grow up with this negative psyche. God, you know, I'm evil if I sin. I'm evil when I fall into sin because Jesus Christ is not a Pharisee role model. So to start this, we're looking at a couple of things. One is Jesus Christ, when he was alive in earth, before he died and rose again in every relationship, when he was alive with his mother, area people, the little kids, Fadducees, Sadducees, when he was in ministry and personal life. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the Good News, and read every relationship that Jesus had, how he acted and reacted, and see if even under pressure and testing, Jesus still didn't have self-control and power 
to show real respect, even when he was demeaned, even when he was betrayed, even when all these things happened to him and life was hard, he was still respectful and he even prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he was really treated cruelly, tortured and demeaned and suffered just because people were angry. The system tried to kill him because they were angry and they were in rebellion. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is my hallmark first ever verse given to me back when this ministry started. And it used to be called the encouraging word. And all I had on the logo then was what God gave me a picture of in my spirit. That was the Bible open to second Timothy three sixteen through 17. Through the years, God added to it, to the prophet, the eagle standing balanced on God's word, the glory rays in the back, meaning salvation, keep it good news, positive, hopeful. And then we can look at what 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 talks about. It's about doctrine, good doctrine, All right? Teaching that is your, gives you moral confidence, advice, is your Build your infrastructure for your thoughts and thinking that's not legalistic. The Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy 3.16-17 that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is profitable for instruction, doctrine, reproof, correction, so that the man and woman of God, the human of God, will be thoroughly furnished to every good work. And if you'll look at your life, my life, everyone's life, and ministry life in general, the quality of life may be pretty good or pretty bad, but nobody ever will say we are thoroughly furnished yet. So we want to say, well, what can I do to help furnish, help do what God wants me to do so that I will be thoroughly furnished for every good work, to give away, to help people, to send money, to Suffering people, help your relatives, whatever, get your ministry out there. And I don't give formulas. I'm not giving formulas. I'm giving time-tested advice, wisdom, and then it's a selah. That means I say pause and think of it. Let God speak to you from that. And then you choose to pursue it more and ask God about it, add to it, get advice, whatever. Or I'm not going to be dogmatic. I'm training people to think for themselves and let God give you even more than I would have suggested. So when it says that the Bible is the inspired word of God, another verse about the Bible in there, it says the Bible is alive. And it's alive and sharper than two any two-edged sword. That means invisibly and supernaturally infused with the wisdom and supernatural power of the Holy God. That the Bible is sharper, the Word of God is sharper than to any two-edged sword, able to go between and discern between the bone and the marrow. So there's a point in your spirit that's so fine, nobody can see it's invisible. It's where the soul and spirit, only God sees this type of thing. It's past the cellular structure where it's invisible to the human eye, but there's a realm of choices that really matters. It's a place of eternity. Where will I decide, in my point of view, where will I believe for salvation or not? Where will I spend eternity? Those things are in that field. 
So that's why doctrine matters, especially to young persons. In Isaiah, there are two scriptures about doctrine. And one of them, you can Google this, one of them's the, um, in, about the children. It says, when should we teach doctrine? When should we teach doctrine, moral things, the Bible, not being legalistic, but when do we start telling people about, you know, living a life that pleases God, that's right, using the scriptures, the New Testament, about Jesus, all that. It says, when should we start telling doctrine, teaching doctrine? And it says in Isaiah, right after they've been weaned from the breast, we start communicating little things or singing or Bible verses or about God and Jesus that is positive and comforting. And the Lord, you know, you start building a foundation invisibly in your little, little one. So if you have a group of children that have never heard the Bible, never heard anyone giving them teaching that's along the line of following the Lord and Christ, that's what we have. And it's invisible, but it's powerful. Only God knows how he multiplies it. But you keep on building and growing so till they finally get it because they need it. And you're depositing the concept of faith and God's that he's there, that he's big and their father and loves them. And there's a security and comfort in that. Then that helps them later when life gets harder and they're older and mature and they can go back somehow subtly in their hard drive, their conscience, their doctrine will kick in and they'll remember that later. And maybe they'll choose not to kill themselves or they'll choose to have hope when it looks bad or choose to pray for somebody or choose to, life, not death. It builds. That's the thing. The other scripture in Isaiah also about doctrine it says, Those who, <laughs> this is funny to me, I think of the world we live in right now. They need doctrine, good doctrine. All right, it says, Those who erred in spirit shall come to understanding. Those that murmured shall learn doctrine. Do you realize that? The murmuring and complaining, the feeling sorry for themselves, the bitterness, the, you know, feeling poor me, complaining, oh no, entitled, whatever this is out there in churches, in families. In you, in me, you know, at times, it's a human soul realm. You know, there's the spirit, the soul. The soul is a mind, the mind, will, and emotions in people, God's people. So it says to help you not murmur and mutter and complain and be a fault finder. It's affected by the kind of doctrine you have, the kind of teaching in your hard drive, the kind of teaching that fills the well, the void, that gives you a perspective that others don't have, the ability with God's help, his infused power, supernatural power in the Holy Spirit on, on every part of the scripture for miracles can help you also prosper and feel positive and more content and happy and not a complainer because you have a well of edification in a supernatural free deposit and insight of hope and courage that is there because of the infusion and planting of his word, the doctrine. So the doctrine and instruction are key and knowing the instruction, not just about natural things, how to tie your shoes, 
how to do this, how to use a computer, all those things are natural and they're fine. But we're talking supernatural God power, peace and presence in the Holy Spirit, knowledge and instruction about God and about life, living a life before God. That's the powerful part. This is powerful about why the Bible. Through the years I've noticed in the last 20, 20 years, People are even more clueless about the Bible. Why do we use it? What's it good for? You know, back when I was growing up, they already thought God is dead came out. Um, of course, that passed. And then all these people still use it as a as a dusty, dry book of poetry, literature, but they can't figure out. They stumble around getting confused. And you add to the media, the History Channel, all these documentaries by people who don't know aren't even saved generally that have these different viewpoints that are not based on accurate first church interpretation of a personal, that a person can have a real relationship and choose to ask Jesus in their heart and he can illuminate them, give him the, the Holy spirit and a relationship, keep them informed and guided using the Bible and his Holy Spirit, the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. This is a giant, complex topic. I hope I'm making it simple for at least a starter. So this is why we want to go through and in inject good teaching to get rid of Phariseeism, Christian Phariseeism. I'm not talking about the other religions. That's their choice. We're talking only to the Christians. Every topic on this, any broadcast and teaching that I do, web or otherwise, to ministry. Why? Because at the body of Christ, the leaders don't have their act together. It's all for naught. Society goes the way of the church. What we want is new vigor and vim and understanding in preachers and new people that never have wanted to know about the Bible suddenly think, you know, I think that sounds pretty curious. I may not want to leave my house in the comfort of my family and home, but I'd like to Google around and see, you know, experiment with the Bible and start to learn it and study it for myself, read it. So I like that thought. I'd love to be able to grow with this ministry over time. I'd love to see a new crowds, crowds and crowds of Noble Bereans, people who've studied the Bible, picked apart my doctrine, anybody else's, comes up with good, healthy, whole, non-compromised, non-critical, not back into the law, not biased, but healthy doctrine and grow a new kind of new kind of ideas for the churches and start revamping the old and get in the new. There's new blood. All these people that quit going to church, all these millennials and people that hang out online, hey, you're needed. I keep feeling there's a whole crop that might, you know, a couple of them, few of them may stumble upon this idea being a, you know, giving you ideas to get out there and study and see if what you really heard was right. What, it, what I say is right. One thing I really recommend is Apostle Paul to Google around don't just Google all the scholars. Google the Bible itself and read Jesus and his relationships for yourself, males and females, you know, for with how he acted, interacted, and read Paul and know about Paul, that Paul was first an outcast of the first 12 disciples. They didn't want to be his friend for 13, 14 years. So that's what made him go to God alone for 13, 14 years, <laughs> excuse me, 
with no one in the official church taking him, you know, wanting to co-labor with him. So he's up in Damascus with the Arabs for that long Syria. And then he comes back. And because he'd been pressing into God by himself, primarily, before there was a Bible, he was praying and fasting, hungering after God. God anointed him and gave him this he quickened with his supernatural Holy Spirit what was in Paul's education he'd had. He'd had a big education, but he didn't know he had big revelation. His spiritual DNA is what really happened up there. And so it takes God not just taking your book learning or your knowledge. It's him in a relationship and you asking for it, giving you grace to have revelation and supernatural wisdom like a spring of a river coming out. And it can happen in dribs and drabs. You can write books from it. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And that's what I invited my stream of whatever this is, fellowshipping with the saints, has come from that type of Holy Spirit, taking what was natural, what was in my family I had learned, but also I had learned as a child and growing up and books and seeing, but also giving me supernatural insight by anointing, I just know it was grace, great grace to do what I do, and that's get ideas. So that's why I want you to do the same. God can have you do things. I never knew I'd be like this at all. I was the opposite, quiet, reserved, melancholy, and also sometimes depressed because I used to be a perfectionist 30 years ago, and God cured me of that, to have joy, great joy. So when we look at our Bible, We're going to start with the scripture. We're going to start with love, real love. God's love covers a multitude of sins, even if they're Pharisees, even if they've been mean. Your daddy was ugly and brutal. Your mama was a hodgepodge of chaos. People did that to your relatives. People are doing that to your friends and relatives. They're doing it to you now. That's part of the issue of the strength we need to live this life with God's help and humility. So we're going to have to take personal inventory of ourself and our relationships with God first, the utmost, most high God, invite Jesus into our heart to give us the Holy Spirit power, and then work on forgiving everybody, including yourself, and keeping your relationships humble, easily entreatable, trying to resemble the wisdom of God, James 3.17, which is pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality and without hypocrisy, even under pressure. That's the role model. So when Paul comes along, he teaches about his own humanity. This is why we want Paul. Paul didn't say, you know, I've written, I'm the biggest, you know, big title of them all, the apostle. I'm the one that has, you know, gotten the oracle of God and I have written two thirds. He wouldn't like that. (coughs) In fact, he was the opposite. He said, I haven't arrived. I want you, noble Bereans, I'm proud of you. I I call the Jews who are noble. He called the honorable Berean Jews noble (coughs) because they picked apart his doctrine, his teaching and compared it with what was in the Bible, the Torah at that time, in the old day, to see if it really lined up. So he was honored because he knew he was human. 
The Christian is human. The pastor teacher is human. So therefore, you must hear God for yourself and pick apart, as the Lord leads you, any scripture to see if it lines up. Mega church to minor church. Now, when I teach, I teach wanting you, giving you permission to be a noble Berean. That means to say, well, you know, Tavo says I can see if she's true. Well, sure. I don't want you to go to hell just because I said something that could be off. I don't want you to accuse somebody because I was a bigot, which I'm not. I hope I'm not. So we're trying to be open and objective and trying to teach people to be personally accountable. Why? Because it's like working out your own salvation. That's a Pauline command right there to work out your own salvation. Why? It is that important. When you build a foundation of doctrine and teaching, it's like when you go back to the arc, what do you call it? The architect who's going to build the Empire State Building or some huge mega structure. So if the architect with his ruler and measures, all the hymns and her architects get out their science and their tools and their knowledge, and they start to draw the blueprints for a huge 50-story building, 120, I don't know how tall they are, but a huge skyscraper. Well, the what we found is if the first part, which is like their doctrine, their inf- if their skill is not good, they could be off maybe three inches or two inches on paper. If they make a two or three inch mistake, it could be a three to seven or 20 foot mistake in a huge structure. So years ago when I was you know, in ministry, but younger, and I was champing at the bit, so to speak, to get whatever he wanted me to do done, I'd been through a lot of control. I mean, a lot of control, false religion, abuse, uh, d- you know, domination. And so I was trying to, you know, get going with that, knowing that I was still needing to be healed a lot. And you don't know things as well until you're on the other side, but that's what I was. So the Lord showed me that principally said, Tevo, yes, you could go out soon. However, I want your foundation to be good and dug deep. And so he's taken the longest time I've ever known anybody, frankly. And I know my mother passed before she you know, saw it. But all I knew is I've had joy and great joy and much sorrow, but also mostly joy every day, every day with joy and humor and a lot of life. I've been criticized a lot, accused by the accuser of the brethren and the mother and men and the cistern and the whoa. However, that's part of my test to forgive them. And it tells me how not that false teaching exists. Because see, this is it. It started it. (laughs) The trouble with accusation is you realize after a while, it's not you, it's them. They have a critical spirit. They're overbearing. They're demeaning they just don't know it or else they just were poorly trained what's in their doctrinal bath waters so the noble berean kicked in i'd always had a dad and a mom and her mother and his mother and their mother that were noble bereans bible bible scholars i think my grandmother my mother said was my grandmother was the first woman or one of the first women to graduate 
her in college, but she taught herself Greek and Greek and um, Aramaic from oh, Greek and Hebrew herself by herself. She's very smart. So I come to, but the, you know, the funny part, these people didn't act like it. They didn't put on airs. They weren't arrogant. They weren't legalists. They weren't, they were fun and li- lively, but smart, capable, strong females. And I don't, I mean, it's just, this is one more person who comes down the line. It's not a big deal. It's just a grace. Because we weren't under the law. <laughs> they were in happy marriages and they were, the husband was the head of the home. I have to say that for you legalists, the accusers. But, you know, it was just like a natural, people were trustworthy, honest, and normal. Pretty natural. As normal as you can be as a Bible scholar. So what we don't want are more Pharisees, legalists, Bible beatdown artists, Bible thumpers. We don't more need more knee-jerk reactionaries. What is a knee-jerk reactionary? That means you say something because it's your privilege, your right to say something and think something. But if you're near a knee-jerk reactionary, they're going to what? You can't say that. Are they going to have this? They're going to rise up. Same with a racist. It's a spirit. So if you walk up and you're black and somebody's a racist, they're going to manifest. All it is is a devil manifesting. If I go in somewhere and they're usually the white groups, the charismatics, I walk in. If there's a whelp spirit, Western European Levitical patriarchism or matriarchism, I won't say a thing. It'll find me and rise up and manifest. That's how I know what, that's just a way of me finding, oh yes, their doctrine has some issues. Their doctrine is resembling the accuser, not the Messiah, who would not judge by the sight of his eyes of 11, uh, Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. No, they've got issues, prejudice. I don't know. It's a spirit. So what we don't want is to be their critic and we have to, we don't want people the other part of this, you don't want God's people confused. You mean the Holy Spirit is so wonderful and yet they're shepherds, they're dominating occult spirit, they have no merry heart, they're legalists, fault finders, you can't trust them. You know you're being gossiped about, but they're never direct, they never confront you, they just want to talk about you rather than to you. That is well, but that is out there, a lot of it. It makes going to fellowship with the saints a prison house because you are tired when you go you want to be with God you want to love Jesus you want to obey the command but you also need to fellowship that's part of your call in life as a Christian you have a pure heart you go there instead you can't trust them they size you up they may size you up and typecast you by your gender your race your look and if you've been through hell which I have been through hell and had this happen that's the only reason I know I was going to the Holy Spirit because that helps me to be with the Lord. I didn't realize that certain groups, only certain ones, and these happened to be Caucasian, my own race, had this underlying secondary devil-watching, Jezebel-spying, hurtful and very typecasting and demeaning stereotype. And then they had this, I guess it's superior, proud authority, elite, you know, which is elevated ministry where they don't talk to you. They'll just avoid you, stare at you during the headlights. It manifests. So when I had this preacher years ago, this is how we handle it. Years ago, around the 2000, 2000 millennium, 
I was on television, real television, in two counties in Virginia. So the pastor, who is a Pentecostal pastor, father of nine, and had been on the mission field in countless areas in the Dominican Republic, which is like Haiti and everywhere, as I recall. Anyway, he one day he was editing my show and he said, Tavo, he said, don't be afraid when a devil, if a devil manifests. I went, whoa, that's a big topic. I'm sure interested because I wouldn't rate. I was always wondering about things like that. I just hadn't had a lot of practice. So when I was hearing him, he said, Tavo, don't be worried if a devil manifests. I said, okay, well, why? He said, it's just a sign. It's a ready to come out. When a devil demon manifests, it's a sign that's ready to come out. Don't be scared. I thought, now that's good. I like that. And that helped me. So when the years passed, within the <laughs> next three years, I had it starting to happen. I've had it many times through 30 years. When I started to find out that it manifests if I show up, the whelp spirit, the accuser. I've done nothing. That's why I teach on this because it's that bad for some people. When I show up, I'm sitting there in James 3.17, observing the boundaries like I always do, being respectful, acting like James 3.17 fruit, which is the wisdom of God, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy, and good fruit without partiality, without hypocrisy, which is my life. And I could have been spoken to calmly, you know, very politely, respectfully. I'm open. Instead, I get the whelp, either accusing witch watcher, come over, uh, jumped in public. I've had a lot of rudeness over, you know, and it just shows me that the wells, some of these wells of the Holy Spirit, which should be Pentecost and safe, are now hazardous to your health because of the accuser of the mother and the sister and, and the false teaching of Phariseeism, dark, dark devil, witch watching, and prophetic paranoia. Let's put it like that. So when the Lord had used that pastor, very honest person, to let me know that when a devil manifests, it's just a sign to come out. That's why I take it. You know, if I go like Jesus, Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus walked around, the Pharisees showed up. He triggered the Pharisee accuser. I go in to a meeting, a conference, a gathering, and if a whelp spirit is there, even the gym one day, even the gym one day up here, I thought I'd finished with it from Dallas, frankly. That was the capita, more per capita I'd ever met or wanted to. It was no fun. So I walked into the gym and this nice friend at the desk said, oh, you got to meet this pastor, this youth pastor from another church in our area. I thought, all right. So, oh, here he is. So as soon as I come up, I'm a female authority, God sent I was just about to say, hi, I'm new. And he started to go into his lecture, the whelp type lecture. Uh, are, you, are you a female? Are, are you in church? Have you found a church yet? Uh, you know, are you covered? That type of dominating rhetoric, which is false teaching. I know my topic on authority backwards and forwards. Please, everyone know this from now on. I do. I'm not sent to be under. I'm sent to attend and help people. But I've got my own office call no matter if I'm white or not, Galatians 1, 1 and 2, like Paul. It's a, it's a maverick to you, many of you, but it is a Bible office. And I am, I cannot just, 
be dominated by a stranger who doesn't even know me. I tried to get off the topic. This guy kept on going, haven't you found a church yet? You need to be in church. It's that old-timey religion, old-timey law in action I stirred up. Anyway, long story short, so when these things happen, they just happen. You may have some other kind, like a racist devil. These are white. White on white to me, Levitical patriarchs and matriarchs. So what it is, it's a sign to me, no matter it in fun, it's not pleasant. I don't recommend it. But it's a, just a sign that because they manifest when I'm there and I do nothing except show up and be myself trying to be a friend, then that is a sign. I take it as a sign that I have a deliverance ministry to them And my way is to teach and train and get them delivered from the religious spirit in their ministry and false teaching. Hey, that's it. I'm covered by the blood. You know, I research because of all the doctrines and charismatics and prophetic people. I research New Testament covering. There is no such a thing. There's chain of command. I'm well acquainted. And for that, Ephesians 4 uh, everyone walk in meekness and lowliness and long suffering, Ephesians five twenty one for marriage and for all the Christians, uh, mutual submission and the fear of the Lord with the wife being submitted to me. If the husband and wife are walking in the fear of the Lord, mutually submitted, it isn't going to be a big deal. You're going to want to submit. I've never had an issue on that. That's not my issue. Mine is being controlled, being rudely demeaned and retreated by the false religion of the day of this whatever this is bias and shepherding and charismatic witchcraft run away so this is why i upfront teach in a bold fashion to correct error it is error because why does jesus ever do that in any of his relationships when he was alive in ministry or in personal life in matthew mark luke and john no does paul set any of this up and discuss it in his teaching no does does uh does it say anywhere that all men are over all women no That topic alone I will discuss from pre-law, Adam and Eve, to the very end of the Bible, but not today. So don't get, you know, on my case too much about that. I would believe that, like it says, Ephesians 5.21, everyone, males and females, white or black or brown, mutual submission in the fear of the Lord. When I deal with (laughs) charismatics, I hate to say it, they must have been raised in the country. My father was a pastor and he was sent to minister in the country so we lived around country type people more rural when i was growing up but we were not country we were educated so therefore i can say all my life i can tell and so when i think of some of these passed down jezebel's dark doctrines and these are a lot of white country overseer doctrines gone awry from the salem witch trials to the overseers that ran you know must have had poor esteem that they had to be over everybody And they didn't come from a lot of education. Maybe they were abused. I was not. So we're going to have to be pretty strong because they're pretty nasty and intrusive and aggressive. And they don't seem to respect anybody but them. That's whelp. Um, But I've got a sense of humor. Thank the Lord and good friends. And and seen a lot that isn't like that. But because I'm discussing Phariseeism and accusation of ministry, of course, I have to mention that for now. When we are having a move of God and a real-life move of God, we don't want to 
play around with ministry. I've seen too much playtime in leadership. All right. So what we want is everyone to know they're now in global ministry, international ministry, even the country raised. Why? Here's why. Because all the people are moving everywhere and looking for property on their cell phone from every nation known to man, every race, every creed is coming in every state that is getting out of their old state because they didn't like what was going on in the lockdown. Therefore, you're going to have lots of diversity and you are not ready. A lot of you, these whelp kinds are not really skilled. I want to help you by training you, stirring up your thought and your theology. So you don't look down on people. You don't bristle and act like a knee-jerk reactionary and act like you're ready to fight them or hit them with your Bible if you meet somebody who's not your kind, your lifestyle, your look, or your color, or your gender. You have expats from everywhere, and you want to be ready and skilled to deal with them and not represent a mean Jesus, not an accuser, not a uh, fault finder, and not a religious spirit. You want to say, I respect them. I'm equal with them. They're equal with me for respect. I may not believe in their theology, want to condone their lifestyle or their theology, but because I know Jesus Christ is my Savior and he was from the Middle East and he went about doing good, he wasn't a Bible thumper, he wasn't a critic, he wasn't an accuser, so I'm going to act in respect first. And then if and when the Lord opens the door and wants me to say something about Jesus loving them or something, I will do it. But first, I'm going to not stereotype them, be anti-woman, chauvinist, misogynist. I'm not going to be the big ego that knows all. I'm not going to be the white savior of everybody's soul or black savior. I'm going to be loving and respectful and down to earth, relatable, teachable, and their friend until proven otherwise. I believe that is the secret for this move of God. That is one of the secrets. Not to be phony, not to be PC. But then the other is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit without the false doctrine caked in. Without legalism, Phariseeism, everybody watching everybody's business, sin spying, accusing, shepherding, micromanaging, seeing witches and stereotypes. What I just said was... It's an international culture, and if you're advertising your fellowship, your church, oh, come over, we're friendly, we know Jesus, and some stranger comes who's never met the Lord, and you are a bigot, a white bigot, or you are a fraidy cat, because you think <laughs> they might be a controlling personality, and you're, it's just because you're crazy, you know, you're, you're cowardly. You've got to man up and human up and get strengthened because what I really feel, I felt this about whelp. The whelp are conditioned to their own kind. They're we-centric, their own flavor. I come in, I'm we-global, but I have power and might. I'm not a legalist. I'm not afraid of men. I don't afraid, I don't jump men. I'm not afraid of women. I'm not afraid of black people, men or women. I am a servant of the Lord, and I know my stuff. I know God's seven spirits. I've been through tough, mean times at times. I've said bad things happen, but I'm a prophet and apostle. They live through it and train from it. 
So I'm saying you got to be more respectful. That's the bottom line. E-O-R-R, not easily horrified. When I go in through the years, there's certain kind of whelp spirits, ones that will just gossip and backbite, distance and frown and scowl, won't even talk to you like they're super elite, false teaching and false love. Then there's some that you go up and you're just going to say hi as a peer or fellow pastor or friend coming to visit and they flare up like deer in the headlights look i call that the i mean there's some that particular kind isn't as aggressive and cruel or whatever mean as the other kind one kind's from the panhandle in florida i'm pretty sure i can trace it in the panhandle or basically florida comes out for one kind of the meanest whelp and then the missouri is the denomination of whelp that most people have been through this mostly white denomination that speaks in tongues. They've got it, but they're mostly the flaring and distancing like they've seen a witch coming toward them and see this is undignified. This is an accuser. You haven't this. I come as a female, let's say as a office prophet that nobody's seen before, not famous. See this. They think you're not knowing anything because you're not famous. They think you're dumb because you're, their stereotype, they think you're dumb because that's their inbred false teaching. So we're correcting it, reproving it, reforming it, hopefully for the new move of God. Relationship is big, bigger than any time before in this move of God. It is my opinion. Relationship, respect, and God revealing how to do it every day is the big key, are the big keys. In ministry, in a church, never have a church. All right. So we go for it. So we're looking at if somebody comes, let's say a white man and you're black and all you've heard is black, horrible stories about white men being racist. And so you see one coming down the road and all of a sudden you're a kid or you're a woman and you see this man who's white coming down the road and you think, oh my gosh. And you start to flare up defensively. You've got to size them up by their actions. Don't trust them. But you say, are they acting in James 3.17? Now, if it's a police situation, that's different. You can't tell what's going to happen there. I'm talking about Christians and stuff. Basically, on the road, you know, when you're out in life. So if you're a white person and you see a black person coming down the road, my theory is, my teaching is, Everybody, don't see a stereotype walking down the road, male or female. Don't see a stereotype coming to your church, Jezebel, or who knows who. See a relationship, a human formed in the image of God. Show them respect until proven otherwise. Show them respect, but watch them like a hawk to see if they act and resemble the wisdom of God in James 3.17 that is pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality. I believe a lot of the rough, tough customers that are out in the body of Christ today have lost their edge. They've lost their respect for most people. They're jaundiced. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're poor. Maybe they weren't raised right. But when I've been sent to the fields to try to affiliate, especially the Deep South West and the Deep South, and I've run into try to get in with the Holy Spirit or the ones that know faith, some of these, mostly the Holy Spirit crowd, there is whelp. I'm sent to say it. Not to put you down, not to make you feel terrible, not to accuse you, but it is that 
It is that important that we get our act together, that we are genuine, pure. When I was in the deep, deep South before now, it was a an achievement ministry by far overwhelming all others. It wasn't good neighbor. It wasn't respectful. It's like, oh, let's hurry on to the next busy appointment. And it was about us and our four no more. And it was a lot, a lot, a lot of people who were into bless me and a lot of people who were into gentrified, clubby Christ following as a stranger, as a good neighbor kind, a down-to-earth relatable person who's, you know, friendly, found more fellowship, frankly, than the churches, these kind of churches. In the barista fellowships, at the gym, they were most humble and more genuine, more respectful. I want to call, I want to put that out for all of you. A lot of you leaders to train your people. This is not about the here and now Demas. It is not about temporal bless me and reward. It is about the Lord and getting people saved so their souls will go to heaven for eternity. Let's get off this page of possessions and pomp and circumstance and power. And let's go back to humility and relationship and the love of the Lord. Let's get out our Billy Graham video, YouTube, Billy Graham, and notice the character of Billy Graham, the word of Billy Graham, the presentation of Billy Graham, the anointing that was there, and the effect on the people, and we need it right now. We need repentance. We need humility. We need a fear of the Lord. This is about the fear of the Lord so that no one will die and not go to the right place. This is about eternity. And with all these people and pressure dying and killing themselves everywhere, all this suicide everywhere I look, there are three or four every day almost. God forbid anybody you know. But I'm saying, you, where are these people think they're going? They just get on there 30 years old, 33, 12, you know, all these different ones are killing themselves. And I think, but did they know the Lord? Were they just like blind? Oh, yeah, I'm going to end it all today and do drugs. I'm going to go, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll just go to a better place because they don't know any better. No one's training it well. I think uh, every time I see, I notice it's two or three almost every single day online. Famous, not famous, usually in their 30s, 20s and 30s, some younger, some older. I mean, it's everywhere. And I think... The bottom line is, did they go to the right place? Were they well-informed or were they really confused by the greed, the misogyny, the bless me, the hate speech, seeing devils on people for their looks? Were they put off by the Christian, by the hypocrite and the accuser that they had in their family? Or they met at this church? Or they met at the gossip or the unfriendly Christian who is a bigot because they looked the way they did. And I met you all that do, some of you, a lot of you that do that in the deep Southwest before here. And so there was, I'd never had Christian ministry misogyny, woman hating. So that's why I'm putting out red flag for teaching. God bless you. He loves you. This is Tavo DRC. We want everyone to get to the sweet by and by. God bless you.